It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast von der Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how's your week been? It's been very good, thanks, Bryce. Um, busy week um, and a really good match day, so it's a very, very good match day. I started on Friday, obviously finished as we record this a little earlier, but yeah, it's been a great match day. Can't, get wait, can't wait to get stuck in it. Yes, plenty to talk about, as always. But uh, joining Chris and I, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how's your week been? You're still over in Germany. Yeah, I'm in Munich right now. And yeah, t- you know, we got a pretty good uh, turn for the better because I got an email from Bayern on on Friday and a uh, nice accreditation to the Allianz Arena. So yeah, I spent the, the Friday at 1860 and then the Saturday at Bayern Munich. And I tell you, what a contrast of two football worlds. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Though that'll change in a few years, eh, Manu? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm glad you're confident. Uh, but joining uh, the three of us uh, back once again is John McKenzie. John, it's great to have you back. And what have you been getting up to? Yeah, it's good to be back. And I have been watching Gladbach lose in a game week where had they won, they would have done very well and got into second place. So I, I said yesterday, I'm expecting us to lose here and lose we did. So blame me. Sorry about that. And as a reward, we brought you on. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I was saying, you know, you only brought, you only bring me on when when Gladbach are doing badly. Whenever they're doing well, I'm nowhere to be seen. Yeah, but to be fair, John, they're still fourth at the table. Yeah, I guess we you have to take the good things when they come along, yeah. don't you? Yeah, I think there's plenty of positives still to talk about that once we get to it, John. But um, yeah, we'll just hold off the Gladbach chat just for a little bit, but we will get to it. Manu, I feel I need to go to you. Um, yeah. We kind of said that Peter Stoker would stay, and well, what's happened? So the the, um, the game against uh, Schalke finished 2-2, mm-hmm. and it's seen uh, Peter Stoker have his last game for Cologne. That means Cologne once again have went winless. Um I mean, we didn't see this coming. We thought that he would probably last to the end of the season and maybe even go down with Cologne. But mm-hmm. so that's not been the case. Yeah. Um, apparently, this decision was actually already made on Friday, Bryce, that he would um, leave. And the reason for that was that Peter Stöger wanted a decision to be made about his future. He didn't want to have this discussion over him, over his personality. Um, carry on for days and days and weeks and weeks and um, apparently there was too much opposition towards what they call in Köln the Freiburg model you know um, last week it appeared that 
that was still the upper hand. That was that's what they wanted to do, sort of what Freiburg always does, no matter what happens to the club, uh, bad or for bad or worse. Um, they they're gonna stick to their head coach. You know, Christian Streich was able to go down with Freiburg a couple of years ago and then allowed to rebuild, and they've done the same with Volker Finke before him. Um, and Köln, there was too much opposition towards go carrying on with that model. And yeah, that meant that on Friday apparently the decision was made to sack Peter Stöger. Or sack is such a hard word. I guess to part ways. Um, I think that both sides kind of knew that it was coming. And then on Friday the decision was made. And then um, I actually thought that they had a pretty good game on this weekend against Schalke, against one of the sides that have really impressed us this season. Yeah, they did look much better, uh, but unfortunately still could not get a win. That is a club record low of 14 games without a win. Uh, Chris, did you think that it was about time that uh, Stoger went, um, or or do you feel that they should have stuck with him at least to the winter break? I think they've done... Uh, it's a bit of a nothing move. If they were going to get rid of him, they should have done it a few weeks ago. And We, we tried a, a great length, didn't we? I said at match day 10, if they were still rock bottom without a win, they should probably look at moving on. And they didn't. They stayed with him. And I thought we were in that sort of area now where they might stay till the winter break with him. Um, it just seems a bit strange that they've gone now. Um, they must have someone in mind. And uh, reading the German press this weekend, it hints that he knew they had someone in mind, which obviously doesn't help if you're trying to um, stabilise a club, but you know in the back of your mind that your sporting director's already, or you sorry, the lack of sporting director, you're, um, the guy above him's already looking at someone else. And it, it's been a bit of a, a bad week for them. They had the horse hell debacle. Mm. Um, and and yeah, if the decision was made Saturday, um, obviously Cologne could have won and he still would have gone. But I, I get why they've done it. For me, it's a strange timing. It would have either been better to wait a couple of weeks, um, probably till after Thursday. They could still qualify for the Europa League on Thursday for the knockout stages, which if they get to that and now they're managerless um, or coachless, sorry, it will be. A bit of a steep hill for them to climb, although you'd imagine that they'd have someone permanent in by the time the Euro- European Games come back um, after their winter break. So, yeah, it's just a strange um, time and decision for me. Yeah, well, speaking about the Europa League, obviously they've got a game uh, coming up uh, midweek, uh, the final uh, group game. Um, obviously, a win would see them go through. Uh, John, do you, do you think um, with youth coach uh, Ruthenbeck uh, coming in um, and taking the helm, do, do you think this is bad timing for them getting through to the next phase? Um, or or do you think actually them dropping off out of the competition may not be a bad thing uh, in terms of their survival in the Bundesliga? Yeah, I think the worst thing that could happen to them right now is for them to carry on in the Europa League, which is I think a, perhaps a negative way of looking at the competition. But given everything that's going on at the moment, it, it's very clear that they need to buckle down focus on the league, sort out what's going on at the club uh, and the Europa League really isn't going to help them for that. And looking at the whole current situation, I find it quite interesting because with Stöger, you have so much, he's so much of the model and the, and the method is tied up with, with the man. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Lucien Favre at um, Gladbach. And you remember when he, when he finally went, he had a, a bad start to the season and he walked. And I think you have to do that because when you're so tied up in the club, 
uh, as to be almost synonymous with the club, it can become impossible for for clubs to to get rid of a, a manager of that sort of uh, standing. So I think probably Sturger's done the right thing, but uh, like we said, it seems at a bit of a nothing nothing period. Should have done it earlier on in the season, perhaps, uh, and given them a bit more of a, of a chance to sort things out. Given that, like you say, they've got the Europa League happening this week. Um, and then we're coming coming up towards the winter break. It, it just seems the, the wrong time for me anyway. You know, he was pretty much set up to fail, though, I feel, Peter Stöger. The whole debacle with Anthony Modeste going to China in the summer, and then they didn't, they didn't bring in... It's not necessary that they didn't bring in a striker. I think that's not even the area that... that where they should have focused on what they really lacked in the two games that I saw them. And it was someone in midfield that strings it all together. And I think that was really that was really the biggest mistake in the summer. And that is something that they should have targeted. Um, someone who can just kind of string it all together and make it work for them. And obviously right now Jonas Hector is hurt. And he's a massive loss for them, right? But when I watched the game, they just, they wasn't, they, the pathways weren't there to, for players to run. And uh, that's because there is no player that can do that for them. So I don't really know if a different coach would have had a better impact for them. And maybe Peter Stöcker should have said in the summer when he got that offer from Dortmund, well, maybe it's a good time to move on and give this entire project over to someone else. But I mean, in hindsight, you're always a little bit smarter. I think you make a good point there, Manu, that he hasn't been um, backed because, as we all know, in Germany, it's a little bit different. It's it's those a little bit higher that uh, make all the decisions about players coming in and out. And, and Anthony Modesto was getting on a bit and there's no way they could turn that money down. But the goals he scored and, and the drive he gave to the team last season, um, I don't think they could ever replace in John Cordoba. And that's not to say that you know, he's a particularly bad player. He's just not the type of player that would, would drive the team on, I think, that Modest did. And and also then, as you mentioned, it's who they've brought in. They've, you know, they've spent um, six million pounds, so or, or, or six million euros these days, isn't it? Um, and they've, they've brought in a couple of um, defenders, but, you know, are they ready to step into the plate and if they would have been playing on the same level, would they? are they Europa League ready? Probably not, no. Um, and obviously they brought... Um, Claudio Pizarro in I don't think he was the the right thing to do either and that was a very panic move for me um, so I, I'm with you Manu I think he's been he's been let down somewhat um, he was quite brutal on on Sky DE after the match uh, and the way he waved to everybody obviously he knew then and it came out sometime later didn't it leaked by the local press um, that he's gone which I believe um, is via Ruthenbeck who told his under-19 players that he was off, and, that, and that's mm. where the leak came from. Well, I had Raphael Honigstein say that um, earlier this evening. Well, they knew on Friday. Everyone already knew on Friday, except for Peter Stöger. And then they still yeah, had to play bad. that game on Saturday night. I mean, <laughs> that's bad. It's really bad. And then, of course, they contacted Markus Anfang in Kiel, right, already on Friday. And he had a game as well. You know, a promotion, a, a tough promotion uh, challenge game against Fortuna Düsseldorf at home and in you know this this bomb explodes in Köln ahead of the match day I mean that's just that's just bad all around mm. well um, Manu obviously you, you mentioned that uh, Marcus Ankford has um, been contacted is it likely that he's to come in at any stage I mean Holston Kiel have done extremely well since being uh, promoted 
in the summer. They're, they're up top position with 32 points. I mean, is it likely that he's to make a move? I don't know if he really wanted to make that move. It's, he's looking pretty pretty good. Um, you know, it's, the winter break is coming pretty quick in the Bundesliga too, and he's he's going to likely be first. And um, that is that's a good cushion to have. And there's a good investment base in Kiel right now at Holstein Kiel, and um, they really want to get that side into the Bundesliga. And uh, the ownership or the investor group has said um, today that they want 10 million euros for Markus Anfang. Now, you can say that's negotiation uh, tactics, right? But uh, at the same time, we've seen with the whole Horst Held debacle last week, right? Where um, Köln contacted Held and then said, no, we actually ca- we actually didn't contact Held. Held contacted us and the back and forward and Kind demanding 2.2 million euros and uh, all that stuff that went down and then ended up with Held basically staying in Hannover. Um, doesn't really say much about Köln's position right now to get the, the people that they want. And um, I mean, personally, if I was Markus Anfang, I wouldn't take that job because he has a realistic chance of coaching in the Bundesliga next season. Whereas with Köln, that chance is he could be a coach in the Bundesliga right now, but all he would do is planning for Bundesliga 2 football the, the, the following season, right? So um, I don't know. I, I, I can't... I can't see him making that kind of rational decision. And I don't think it's realistic to think that Köln are going to stay in the league. Very quickly, just before we move away from uh, Cologne. Uh, Manu, we spoke last week about uh, Holst Held uh, possibly coming into Cologne. What, what's the, what, what's the uh, update on that? Uh, Chris said things have got a little bit messy. <laughs> well, it's um, he said, she said, he said, right? Something like that. Is that the saying in English? Um, yes, that's exactly the saying. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, we leave it like that then. Anyways, um, apparently that's that's what happened is that Köln said that they have ended talks with Held because they couldn't meet his demands. And then Held, sa- Held be- just before that said that he d- is not going to join Köln and Hannover said that they won't release him anyways. So it was kind of like, I think Archie um, Archie released a really fun tweet about this is saying like, oh, I didn't want him anyways, right? Kind of thing. Because it, it sounded like that all, all parties involved were basically saying the other party wasn't interested anyways. Um, yeah, it's it seems like it seems like the sort of thing where um, negotiations really didn't work well, and I feel like Köln missed a really big opportunity there because Hell would have been a good fit, but I, you know, we don't really know who really said no in the end of the day. Oh dear, what a mess! Anyway, that was uh, Timo Horn's hundredth uh, Bundesliga uh, appearance. Might I say that's one of the few uh, good things to come of that game, probably for the Cologne fans. But uh, moving away from that, uh, we're going to talk about Dortmund now, another team that's um, their coach has been uh, in well in the headlines for all the wrong reasons as well. Uh, we did say that he had one game left uh, to uh, hold on to his uh, job, and he, he really needed to take it to Bayern Leverkusen. Unfortunately, uh, it ended 1-1. They came from behind. It seems like he's held on to his job for a little bit longer, uh, wouldn't you say, John? Uh, or, or, or is that not going to be the case? Do we, do we see him 
possibly parting after or before the Champions League game this week. Well, I don't know about the timing, but yeah, I do think he is on borrowed time at the moment. Uh, again, not particularly impressive result yesterday, given that Wendell was sent off in the 41st minute and uh, Bosch's team against 10 men couldn't break them down to, to get the win. So, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's um, it's really not working. And, and, you know, we saw a similar situation in the Premier League um, with Frank de Boer at the beginning of, of our season over in England. And there is a really interesting questions to be asked about the way that the Dutch coaching is, is is going at the moment. Now, I think it's probably too easy to make hard and fast rules about these sorts of things. But you're seeing similar failures um, with with Bosch as you were with with Frank de Boer coming into a, a new uh, a new side in a different context. Let's let's not forget uh, a different league, a different country, uh, and trying to impose a particular way of playing, a particular style of playing which, despite the fact that it worked quite well at the beginning, was very, very quickly found out. And since it's been found out, it's been very, very hard to to um, actually turn anything around. He didn't seem to have many tactical plan plan Bs. So you're left with a very, very big question. The question is, if you're bringing, bringing in a, a manager who has a very specific way of, specific way of playing, uh, and that's their big selling point, as soon as that doesn't work the question is what, what are you keeping them around for what is it that the Dortmund expect Bosch to do do they expect him to now start tweaking around with tactics in which case the, the question is why bring in a manager who has to sort of d- develop their own uh, n- a new way of thinking just on the fly so I think he's probably on borrowed time and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he went this week um, especially given what we've seen happening at Bayern um, getting rid of a coach, bringing in uh, a, a tried and tested formula, working out and now look at Bayern flying at the top of the league. So, yeah, I think he very much is on borrowed time. Chris, would you agree with uh, with John Stippen saying that, yeah, it's only a matter of time before he goes? I mean, Zorak has come out today, hasn't he, and, and said that he wants to achieve a turnaround with uh, Bosk at, at the helm. But do, do you think that that's possible? I think once you get the backing of the Borussia Dortmund management, you're on limited time. Um, Tuchel had the backing, didn't he? Um, and Hammers on on borrowed time. I I think maybe we might see him go this week. I can't see them getting any sort of positive result um, in the Bernabeu against Real Madrid at all. Um, and therefore, I don't think they will qualify for the um, Europa League because I can see Spurs maybe playing... Um, not a weakened side, but maybe a less of a side against Apoel because they're through already, um, you know, and they're not doing particularly well in the Premier League at the moment. So that will fall um, into Bosch's hands as a problem for him. Um, I, I'm i disappointed. I thought they were poor on Saturday, especially, as John said, when they were down to 10 men. He changed it around a bit, went 3-4-3. Three, three. You, know, you can say he's unlucky because Maximilian Philip gets a terrible injury early on. Um you know, and then Castro goes off later on as well. But they just seem any lack of direction. They, I don't know if they, they're unsure of the system they're playing or if they're not unsure of what they're being told to do, but there's definitely something amiss because you can't have a team the likes of Socrates, um, Schmelzer, you know, Subatich at the back, and, and they didn't look comfortable at all. And look at who's in midfield, Guerrero, Weigel, Sahin, Castro. They didn't look particularly good. Um, Christian Pulisic had a, had a bit of an off day. Um, Maximil and Philip, you didn't really see much from him. And then Yarmolenko, who was okay, but 
if it's not for Roman Berkey, it's 3-4-0 early on and there's absolutely no coming back from that. And I'm sure Bayer Leverkusen will be devastated that um, you know they haven't got all three points in this because they started a lot better. They were able to play between the lines. I thought that Havertes was great. Um, Bender was great in the middle as well. Kevin Volland looked excellent again. Um, and even at the back with Jona Hentar looked okay, even when they went down to um, 10 men uh, you know, and they lost that that sort of impetus that you had that they needed to take him on. But they, I think Dortmund could have still been playing now and it would have been 1-1. Manu, do you see uh, Borussia Dortmund actually sticking with uh, Boss for the reason that there's not many options out there at the moment? I mean, what, what's your take on that? I mean, who could possibly come in at this stage? Well, Michael Sork said that they want to achieve the turnaround. He actually used the English word turnaround uh, with Peter Bosch. Um, I guess we all know that, what do you say, the the word of confidence um, is the last thing a coach wants to hear in this kind of situation from the sporting director. I think that the, the real the real problem is here, and I think you kind of hinted on that already, is that who are you going to bring in? You know, who is available right now? And um, I think it's quite telling that Matthias Sommer and... Otmar Hitzfeld, of course, two coaches that won the championship, and Otmar Hitzfeld even won the Champions League with Borussia Dortmund, have already said in public that they're not going to take the Borussia Dortmund job. Now, um, if your sporting director is saying they want to do the turnaround, uh, want to achieve the turnaround of the head coach, and in the meantime, other coaches who have coached Borussia Dortmund in the past are saying that they have no interest in taking the job, well, who asked them in the first place, right? This is this is the kind of thing that I'm wondering about, but I guess they want to achieve the turnaround or have to achieve the turnaround with Peter Bosch because I don't see anyone available. Um, one of the things that have been talked about quite a bit during this weekend was that Julian Nagelsmann could come in in 2018. I don't think that's quite unrealistic to be honest, but um, someone would have to take over until then, and that that person was Armin Fee. Now, I'm not sure Armin Fee would do a much better job than Peter Bosch right now. And I think there you really have the, the big issue, right? Is, um, is the trainer market. There isn't that many candidates available that could take this job. And this isn't, this isn't just true for Borussia Dortmund. I mean, we saw Bayern München um, look for a replacement for when you fire Carlo Ancelotti and they had to bring your pinkers out of retirement because the trainer market, there isn't many candidates available right now at this very moment who could take a club. And we're talking, you know, Busset Dortmund, I think they ranked fourth or fifth in Europe. You know, they're one of the biggest teams in European football. So they can't just go and take XYZ coach, right? Um, they need someone with, with a big profile and they need someone who not only can fix them but can also give that team the stability and challenge for one of the top four spots in the Bundesliga, which they're in, not in right now. And I can't see anyone like that right now. That That is really the biggest challenge. Who are you going to bring in at this very moment who can make, achieve the turnaround? I mean, the one guy who could do it is someone like your Pankers, but he's now at Bayern München, right? So... It's it's a very difficult situation, and this is, I think, the only reason why Peter Bosch is still in his job. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, a bit of a tricky one. So, obviously, the uh, we don't see the Champions League game going uh, too well for them. But, um, John, uh, next week, it, it would mean that uh, Borussia Dortmund would be at home. But they'd be taking on Werner Bremen, who managed a win this week, even though they're second at bottom. And how important is this game? I mean, surely nothing but a win would save his job. Yeah, I think the question is is what if if there is no if there is no bottom level if there's nothing that is going to get get rid of him then I, I suppose at the end of the day it doesn't really matter and I suppose what Dortmund have got to do is they've got to make Bosch aware of what what their plans are and if they are going to keep him to the winter break then then tell him that and he can I suppose use that as a positive and say well just, I've got nothing to lose um, I think that's probably the best best bet there but. Yeah, I think if they lose, if they start losing to Werder Bremen, uh, there's big, big questions to be asked. I'd be, sh- I'd be shocked if they lose to Werder Bremen. I mean, if 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 they don't, if they don't beat Werder Bremen, then uh, then Merry Christmas, you know. <laughs> I I I thought I just I that would be shocking. I, I don't think they they would be any help for that club anymore after that. Mm. Well, there's seven games without a win. Things are not looking too good, but uh, you have well. I suppose if Werder Bremen are ever going to beat them, it might be now, right? But uh, that sees Borussia Dortmund drop down to sixth with 22 points. They're quite a bit off the pace. But um, two other teams which will be taking or looking to take advantage of that would be RB Leipzig and Hoffenheim, who met this weekend. Uh, things didn't go quite to plan for RB Leipzig. They managed to lose four 0 to Hoffenheim. Uh, Manu, what? exactly happened here i mean that wasn't quite the close affair that we would have expected yeah i had to backwatch this because i I was in the allianz arena and i just basically um got the score either on my screen in front of me or my phone uh, ringing through or um, on the big scoreboard in the allianz arena and through many cheers and whistles from the bayern fans of course um yeah i guess I, I I thought this was really astonishing because um, this result comes right off the back of Julian Nagelsmann being very heavily criticized this week, right? Uh, we've seen a couple of tweets where um, he was where he was said that he wasn't doing particularly well this year. Well, he is uh, fifth now with his side ahead of Borussia Dortmund, having just beaten RB Leipzig 4-0. He's not doing that badly considering that he's lost several key players. Um, yeah, I guess I guess he just got the better of Ralf Hasenhüttl. And I think what I wrote in my preview is it's quite interesting that you have one coach, Ralf Hasenhüttl. They're both very tactical, astute coaches, but Ralf Hasenhüttl has a certain way um, of playing football, which you we all know what Leipzig are going to do any given day, but it's despite you knowing what they're going to do, 
it's very hard to defend or find a solution for it, right? Um, it's always the same kind of football. It's always the same 4-2-2-2 um, formation. And uh, we know they're always going to be high pressing. I know they're always going to have a high defensive line. We always know that they um, are going to have that switch turnaround, really quick turnaround in midfield. And uh, that they're very dependent on the double midfield pivot. That's something that we talked about quite a lot about, right, John? And um, the, you, even if you know all those things, they're still very difficult to play against. And I guess Julian Nagelsmann figured it out and shut it down and got the result that he, not only that he needed, but I mean, this is an impressive result. He, he beat Leipzig 4-0. Um, there's not many sides in Germany that can do that. Yeah, Chris, what would you have said RB Leipzig need to do in the future? I mean, we, we talked about them really trying to push Bayern for a possible uh, title contending a season, but um, this is a, a bit of a large bump in the road, isn't it? Do, do you think um, the Champions League game midweek had anything to play with that? Not sure. Um, as in, what, other than them looking forward to it? Yeah, maybe you just have one eye on the uh, Champions League game rather than... Um, your two eyes on on this one and really taking it to Hoffenheim. Uh, I don't I don't think they did. I think it's more that um, Hoffenheim were able to counter all their uh, normal um, attacking options that they get. And you know, Manu's already mentioned that double pivot, and you negate that, and then you start the quick transition, which is I think pretty much what they did. Um, also, they played some fantastic football as well. And boy, did I choose the wrong game to watch um, live at three at three thirty. Um, German time or 2.30 UK. Um, I would have much more preferred to have watched this live than the Dortmund game because um, this was just a stunner and Gnabry's goal, yeah, I think we can all watch back time and time again. But it was the speed. I mean, I've seen Hoffenheim uh, this season over at Anfield. You know, covered the game for um, football grad, for football stat. And they were blown away by Liverpool. And it reminded me watching it back of... of how Liverpool played against Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim played the same way against Leipzig. They were just they were just better in every part of the pitch, and they were more committed. You know, every now and again, a team like Leipzig are going to have a bad day, and this was you know an exceptionally bad day. But let's not forget it was only um, one nil at half time. It's it's the second half where you know it sort of fell apart for them. The last goal comes very late, but it's 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 the second and third goal which are key to the whole match, and they they got them at the right time and. I don't know, maybe later on towards the end of that game, once you go 3-0 down, Bryce, you might be right. They may be thinking, OK, this game's done. Let's just have a look forward to um, this coming week and the Champions League game in some of the players' minds. Perhaps that might have happened, but I certainly don't think it would have happened before it because, you know, Hoffenheim are a good side and they've um, placed well in the Bundesliga last season. You know, they were excellent. Um, and I think by the start of the season, Leipzig would have expected it to be Hoffenheim and Dortmund who they are fighting um, to you know, be in the top four in some sort of different arrangement behind Bayern. I think in the match itself, it was very, very close first half. The Hoffenheim goal was actually really, really well worked. It was beautiful. And the first time I, I saw it, uh, I thought the uh, Rupp had actually mishit it um, to Nadim Amiri. But uh, looking back, you know, it was just a blistering counterattack. And then if you look at half-time... Um, Hasenhutl makes two substitutions. He brings on uh, Bruma for Klosterman and Stefan Ilstanker for uh, Dea Upamakano. Um, so obviously he went, for, he went for it. He went for it big, I think, and it obviously just didn't play out. And as you said, with Nabri scoring those two goals in 
right, within ten minutes of, of each other. It just it, it just sort of uh, sucker punched them, and and that was that, and and that was the game done. Um, so I think. Often, you know, the, these these guys, I, I don't know if, whether or not this is correct or not, but I do consider coaches like Hasenhutl, Tedesco and, and um, Nagelsmann to be to be very systems heavy managers. When you when you listen to them speaking about the way that they set up their teams, they are thinking always about system, system, system. Now, that's mainly because, I mean, obviously you get the most out of your team when you play them well as a system. But also these guys don't always have necessarily the the real match changer um sorts of players that, that they can have and I think it's it's notable in this game that Nabry just had one of those games which he he was very very good uh, and and it it came down to that I think those those 10 minutes where he played well um and 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 that was that we saw it we saw it in the Premier League the other week with with Meza Ozil he had a 5 minute period where he got two assists and a goal and that was that thank you very much and and so I think w- what we're seeing in this game I think was was probably down to that too yeah well I mean John speaking about Nagelsmann I mean Obviously, he's getting linked with. He's got linked with Munich. You know, he's he's being linked with. You know, Borussia Dortmund. But um, it, it seems maybe in, in the last few weeks uh, or even months, he, he's come over a bit of a criticism. I mean, before this game, you they were on a, a little bit of a patchy run in the league. But do you, do you think this goes some way to um, answering uh, the critics and kind of reinstating just how good a manager he is, and the fact that he's only thirty years old just um, obviously emphasizes that as well. Yeah, I don't know how I would answer that question because obviously I think one game obviously doesn't, you know, therefore reinstate his credentials. There's clearly been some funny uh, old results from him this season, and you know, I mean, e- even last week weekend they they uh, they lost to Hamburg, which is is obviously not not something which is going to be, be endear you to, to managers at, at clubs like Bayern and Dortmund. So I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think anyone doubts his credentials. I just think the the question is, why is there so much inconsistency with him? Um, and I'm not entirely sure I know the answer to that. I think, obviously, last season, um, Hoffenheim had had a great season and they had no Europe. And, and the questions are going to be raised about whether or not European, added European um, competition has, has affected him in some way. That's probably true. And he, he also doesn't have the biggest squad with which to deal with with um, European competition as well. Um, it's all part of a learning curve. So I, I guess if we start seeing Hoffenheim slowly creep up again towards the top, uh, towards the top two and trying to break into that battle, then then I guess we'll have a better understanding of whether or not uh, this is just a temporary uh, up, upturn or not. We have to remember he's only 30 years old, right? Mm. So, I mean, this is, this is um, an age in a player's career where they, they are supposed to hit peak and we're talking about a manager here we're talking about a manager who's i think younger than anyone on this pod and <laughs> so i think the the learning curve i think that's really um the most difficult has been the most difficult thing for him and you mentioned europe right i think he's he's struggled quite a bit finding that balance between um european club football and the bundesliga and i think he's he's still trying to figure that out in one way or another, which is fair enough. I think um, I think the criticism was unfair in a sense because it's for, we keep forgetting that this is really on his his uh, second full season, right? And he's lost Rudi and Süle, two key players, ahead of the season. And he's basically, right now, he's in the standings. He's in almost the exact same place where he was last year. Mm. So, I mean, that's pretty decent considering 
the extra things that he had to deal with and that he's still only 30 years old. So I, I think, you know, um, I think... I think he just needs time, and that this is this is the one thing, of course. Maybe to go slightly off topic, when people talk about him to go into Bayern, I think that would be a huge mistake for him because I just don't think he's ready for that yet. But a guy that he'll want to feature on the field, and that's uh, Serge Gnabry. Yeah, well, uh, you described it as a uh, decent Manu, but I would say it's a little bit better than that. I would say it's pretty good actually. But um, yeah, Nagelsmann will be taking his uh, men out onto the pitch uh, against Hanover next week and yeah, he'll be hoping to keep up that winning mentality but a guy that he'll have in the midfield form will be Serge Gnabry Chris you mentioned that um, that second goal was quite fantastic and it certainly was a rather lengthy strike uh, from the halfway line seen him score with the only two shots that he had in the game Manu um Let's talk Serge Gnabry a little bit. Uh, there was an article came out uh, this week, um, Byron Central, uh, mentioning the possible uh, replacements for Ribery at Byron, and Gnabry wasn't even on that list. I mean, surely from next season on, he's going to be one of the main players there, is he not? Or do Byron not see him as as a potential, you know, f- midfielder for them in the future? Definitely, yeah. I mean, that's all the talk in Munich that Gnabry is coming in and that Gnabry is going to do the same thing than David Alaba did when he went out on loan or Tony Kroos or Marcus Bubble or I mean, Sami Kufour, he went out on loan too. Um, Philipp Lahm, you know, that that Bayern bring in someone like that, send him out on loan and then he comes in and is, is Bundesliga Bayern ready. And, um, you know, we all know that Frank Ribéry's and Ian Robbins' times is the, the days are counted, um, and that Serge Nabi is part of the succession plan. So, I think um, any article that you write about potential replacements for one of those two players, th- th- you need to put Serge Nabi on the number one spot. That's that's the reality, right? And the other guy would be, of course, Kingsley Coman, who has been fantastic since your Pankis has come in. Um, so I think the succession plan is very much in line. Will they have to bring in someone else? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think it's it's a major oversight that you ignore someone like Serge Gnabry. And I, I don't think they do that here in Munich. I think here in Munich, that's it's 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 they know that what they have with Serge Gnabry. And um, you're talking about a young German player who's 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 gone, who has all the talent in the world right now. So I think. I think um, he doesn't have to worry about being in the Bayern squad next season and Bayern don't have to worry about him being ready to play on that Bayern level. I mean, Chris, let's just um, speak to you very briefly about how good his performance was and the goals that he scored. I mean, that, that was something else. Yeah, and when he's on his day, I think he's as good as any player in that Hoffenheim side. He, I'd just like to see him do that a little bit more consistently. Uh, obviously, not score a goal like he did his second one. I think that's pretty hard for anyone to do that consistently. But to have the sort of impact that he's had in that game, to have that a little more. And there's no question that he's definitely one for the future. And we've seen him play you know, at, at different clubs and, and also internationally and be able to come up with a good... So, now it's just seen him develop and he, don't forget he's only a young lad so he's getting that development time and that's why Bayern sent him to um, Hoffenheim obviously signed him and then loaned him straight out and 
I wouldn't expect him not to go back at the end of the season. It's a double negative there. I apologise for that. But I, you know, I would expect to see him playing at Bayern next season, definitely. So for me, I think that's an oversight. Yeah. It, we all know that. I, mean, I can tell you that right now, Chris. That's the word here. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no doubt he will be back with Bayern next season. Well, I wonder whether or not he will be Arsenal's version of Kevin De Bruyne, you know, letting a mm. young player go, sending him across to Germany, getting all that tactical development and coming back one of the one of the top midfielders in, in, in at least the country. So uh, I'm always interested when these sorts of transfers happen because I want to see whether or not he will. Because when, when he was in the Premier League, I thought he was... He was good enough to keep on, to at least risk developing within the Premier League. But I think he will be, he'll be a big player one day. But to be fair, John, Arsenal did want to keep him. It was, it was his, it was his, came all the wanting to move away from London that all came from his side. Yeah, no, I, I respect that. I also think that Arsenal probably could have tried a little bit harder to, to keep him had yeah. they, had they de- developed him in a better, better way earlier on. But yeah, I think it's slightly different. Yeah, we've all heard how. Per Metersacker was not happy about him departing, was he? But um, let, let's talk about uh, the game midweek. We're going to have uh, Bayern Munich taking on Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, John, how do we see this one going down? I mean, the three points behind them in the group. I, th- I think Paris uh, more or less have this one wrapped up. But can you see a Bayern Munich possibly taking it to them and beating them? Yeah, well, obviously PSG lost at the, at the weekend to I think it was Strasbourg. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the thing with with thing with PSG is always that they do rely very, very heavily on their front three. Uh, now, we know that their front three is, is one of the best, if not the best in the world. Um, but but where they do have frailties is towards the back of uh, the back of the pack for them. So I think. I mean, obviously, Yapenka is, is 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 savvy enough to know to know this. He knows that PSG are, are not unbeatable, and I, I think he wouldn't come out and say, you know, he came came out saying that he thinks that a triumph um, on on Tuesday would be good for a good, a good signal uh, on, in Europe. And I think he knows well enough that that Bayern could pull off something, but were they not to, then people wouldn't have expected them to do it anyway. So it's, it's a sort of win-win scenario for, for him. So I think he'll he'll probably sit um, Bayern in a, in a fairly defensive uh, 4-2-3-1 and probably try and hit them on, on the counter-attack. And I think with with why he likes to play uh, wide, he likes to play to go down the wing. He's got players like Kingsley Coman who can cause problems down there. And I, I think that, that it will be very interesting to see because it will be the first time really that we'll have a fair test of PSG's defence. I don't think the first match between these two is particularly fair given that, that Bayern were sixes and sevens. So I'm actually quite looking forward to, to it because it will hopefully give us a bit more of an indication about how far PSG will go in the competition this season. And Manu, do you share the thoughts of John? Do you see uh, Bayern it really being a win-win whether they uh, actually win or lose in this game and how do you see the game going Bayern always needs to win um, John I don't think you've been to Munich and have, have <laughs> dealt with the newspapers here um, I mean everyone on this pod knows I'm not a Bayern fan but um, the expectations are quite clear Bayern always has to win it doesn't matter who comes to Munich Bayern has to win uh, I think anything but a Bayern victory is a disappointment and I, I mean this. I don't. I don't mean this in a way of like this is not an arrogant statement by Bayern. This is this is how they see the world. I mean, this is the Mir Samir philosophy. Um, we can beat everyone. We can beat everyone with our philosophy. That's that's who we are as a club. Um, I think anything but a victory on Tuesday would be a big disappointment. 
uh, it would be a setback. And I think that's how they would view it. Um, I, I know, John, you're absolutely right. I, I don't actually disagree with anything you say because that's just the, the, the neutral viewpoint of it, right? When you, when you look at it as an outsider, as a non, as someone who's not from the city and doesn't know how, how, how things work in Munich, I think if you, if they lose this game, it really doesn't matter. You would, you would think, right? But, um, for Bayern, it will matter. And I think they, uh, I mean, they, they kick a, the kicker headline today, this for for Monday, is uh, we want we want revanche, we want vengeance. Um, I mean that says it all. I think they don't care to be ahead of PSG in the standings, but they definitely want to beat them. And I think anything but a victory we will be a disappointment for them. And Chris, I feel on that note we need to speak about the title race in the Bundesliga and speak a little bit about Bayern and how they got on the weekend. They beat Hanover three one. This is actually the registered a season high 30 efforts on goal i've just read um so that you they clearly were absolutely dominant in this game yes they conceded one but i'm pretty sure they'll be happy about that result and the performance um did we expect anything else after their slip up last week um i don't think we expected anything else but you know having watched the game back i don't think they had it all their own way i thought they were pushed um very hard by um, Hanover, who were depleted for that game. So you can only imagine that if they would have been at full strength, um, you know, they they would have given them a better game. If if the penalty's not retaken and uh, Ulrich doesn't save the second attempt, you know, they went on to equalise in inverted commas quite quickly after that. So that you know could have been a two-one um, lead for them at one point, but. Um, Bayern do what Bayern did, and they saw the game out, grinded it out, and won. I don't think they, I don't think it was convincing as as maybe the scoreline suggests. But um, what is quite intriguing, though, and I want to thank Kevin Hatchard for this, uh, one of the Bundesliga commentators, is that you know we've seen Bayern lose, uh, and they lost last week, uh, and the team that have beaten them for the last eight times have gone on to lose the next game, which I think is um, amazing. It seems to me that when teams beat Bayern, maybe they get a little bit complacent and go into the next match day, um, maybe on too much of a high. And I think we probably saw that uh, later on, on Sunday evening, didn't we, where Wolfsburg were, you know, destroyed um, Gladbach. So, I mean, that's an interesting standpoint from the league. But back on that particular game, I thought Bayern weren't lucky, but I didn't think they were at their best. And I thought Hanover were unlucky. It's an interesting one, though, Chris, because we've been saying now for weeks that Bayern are beatable. And Bayern were very dominant at this game. And they had a fantastic game in a lot of ways. But um, at the same time, until they, until they scored the third goal, there was a sense in the stadium that this game could slip out of their hands. You know, they did not, they were not invincible. You know, in past years, and this, this is something I said afterwards, to a few of my colleagues in the in the press box, in in past years this would have been a five six seven zero victory for Bayern, but in this game, you know, even though they had these chances, I mean, Thomas Müller missed a sitter. Um, there was always that sense that Hannover could get back into this game, and I mean, we're talking about a side that's recently promoted, right? So I, yeah. I th- that 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 sense of them being completely invisible at home is gone. Oh, most definitely. And you know, you were there, so you'll have seen it better than I did. But you know, looking back, I thought Hanover had the chances, especially as I say, with the with the penalty retake and mm-hmm. then the goal so soon after. 
you know, they did have a, an opportunity there if they would have had the rub of the green their way. They would have been ahead. Now, Bayern are strong and, and the second I mean, the second half of the second half, the final quarter of the match, they were they were dominant. And I thought Kingsley Coburn had an excellent game looking back on it. Um, but you're quite right. They're still there for the taking. And you know, we said that if they get a real test, how would they be? And maybe they got that test last week and maybe they were just clever enough to ride it out this particular match day. I think this is something we're seeing as well in, in just the top European leagues. I mean, if you look at the stats, they had uh, Bayern had 70% of the possession, um, to, to Hanover's 30, obviously. Bayern had 29 shots, of which 11, uh, 12 were on target, um, to Hanover's eight shots, four of which were on target. And, you know, Bayern making more passes, they've got a higher pass success rate, et cetera, et cetera. This is something we're seeing in, in the leagues around Europe at the moment. In the Premier League today, uh, Manchester City, who are far and away the best team in the Premier League at the moment, struggling to beat West Ham, who are right down in the relegation zone. I think there must be something going on in world football whereby there's a recognition that you can sit deep against these sorts of teams and they will struggle. Um, And I think with with a development of, of, I think, tactical understanding that there is it's a lot more of a, of a possibility to, to cause problems for really, really good sides. So I think then there may be an element of that coming into it as well. Um, and that's why I think in the, in the Champions League, things look a little bit different because in the Champions League generally, at least by the time you get to the knockout stages, uh, the big European clubs just t- try, tend to go for each other a bit more and the games open out and that's when you can really tell when uh, that's when the club's uh, quality really comes to the fore um, but we're seeing this a lot I think we're, we're seeing it in La Liga as well we're seeing it in Serie A um, clubs who are very very well uh, drilled defensively being able to cause the, the teams you would think would have no problems in, in at the top of the division uh, causing them problems well it's an interesting trend too that um, we have followed quite a bit in in the Mexican league right Bryce is that the top teams there don't give the ball to the opposition and um, then just hit them on with, you know, because the top teams have better um, athleticism rates. So they just hit the teams on counterattacks, but basically give the, leave the ball um, the majority of the time to the opposition. And we've seen this, we've seen this trend coming over to Europe. Um, I guess, you know, even a side like Hannover, because in terms of athleticism and um, training, you can almost create an even field, right? Through the mm-hmm. board. And so if you are able, and you, you saw this in this, uh, in this game, um, the, the Hannover-Bayern game, you saw that quite a bit, that um, Hannover was so quick. When they got the ball, they were so quick to play it forward and just hit them really hard. And even in, in the 90th minute, and you know, two or three years ago, a team like Hannover would have been dead on the legs because they were, they were just defending right for 90 minutes against um, an opposition that was making them run because they had the ball all the time. But now these sides are so well drilled that they, they can withstand that pressure and then still have the stamina to hit a top team late in the game, right? And I think that is a big difference maker. And Manu, that brings us on to our next point of you know, whether the league is actually a lot more competitive than what maybe outsiders would give it credit for. I mean, you mentioned that in Liga MX, we've seen that a lot, haven't we, with the uh, the stats being very one-sided to a side. But actually, the team with the what appears to have the worst stats actually coming out on top. And does that mean that you know that it's, it's a lot more competitive in the Bundesliga as this happens as well? Yeah, you know, people will take a big, quick glance at the Bundesliga table and see Bayern on top of six points. Um, I, I don't think that gives us the whole picture. I think when you look at the 
when you look at the the standing and you see Bayern have uh, out of 14 games they have only won 10 um that is not fantastic you know in recent years that would have been a major failure for them um i think what you see is that a whole bunch of sides um, are currently pressing up the table pressing up the standings and have done a lot better than in the last two years uh, i look at schalke leipzig keep on developing uh, I'm pretty sure Borussia Dortmund sooner or later will figure out what's going on wrong. Borussia Mönchengladbach, your side, John, is is playing really well, very good football at times. And um, then, of course, today we've seen the resurrection of Wolfsburg. Um, they sooner or later will push up the table as well. Bayer Leverkusen, yes, they're currently sitting in, in ninth, but they're really only one win away from fourth spot. It's it's compact, and all these sides are also good enough to give Bayern a month for their running, like last week when Gladbach beat Bayern, right? So um, I think the league is more competitive, and I, I was a little bit worried in the beginning of the season that there wasn't enough talent in this league, but there's been a real nice emergent, uh, emergence that a lot of clubs have come, brought up um, young players that can beat play defenders in one-on-one -on -one situation that are dynamic, that are technically astute, that are, that are fast, and it's it's gotten like the last few weeks have been a lot of fun to watch and i think that the league is a lot more competitive than what people say i think there's a lot more depth i think that's the issue like when you've got a team as good as Bayer leverkusen in ninth place and by a, a, a very good side you, what's happened is that the depth has dropped down the league and so there's the clubs between second and, and ninth are taking points off each other uh, which never happened as much so you would have a, a much closer perhaps um, title race with with Bayern. I know that's not always been the case, but what we're seeing is we're seeing Leipzig lose to Hoffenheim. We're seeing uh, Gladbach beating teams who they might not have beaten last season. We're seeing Schalke looking good as well. And so I think that what's happened is the depth has dropped down and, and this actually means that there is more competition, but it's, it still favours Bayern in that respect. But I think a lot of that has got to do with the fact that you've got so many young, exciting coaches coming into the, the Bundesliga. And it was, it was interesting for me hearing... Uh, Rafa Honigstein talking last uh, two, three weeks ago when he did his um, spiel on, on Jurgen Klopp and, and him, him saying what an effect Klopp had had on just general coaching in Germany, being being able to make coaching a thing that, that wasn't necessarily correlated to being a great player. And you're seeing the benefits of that now, that there are, there are coaches coming up. Um, we see that with Marcus Amfang as well. If he comes up next season, another exciting coach in the Bundesliga, making uh, the the league a more competitive league. And I know that Manu and I have have disagreements about the uh, relationship between the, the Premier League and 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 the Bundesliga. But the Bundesliga, I think, is more competitive at the moment than the Premier League is. Oh wow! I I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's true here. I think I think the top the top six are are more com maybe 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 competitive in the Premier League, but then it drops off yeah. a lot. And you get you get the top half of the table is competitive in in the Bundesliga. I think we agree more on that than you think because that's exactly the assessment I have. I think the top six teams in the Premier League are more competitive, but what comes after that, I think yeah. the Bundesliga, you know, below the top six, is a lot deeper. Um, and you really see that with teams like Werder Bremen and Köln currently being at the very bottom of of the table, mm. right? And I think one of the big reasons, of course, is the smaller league, um, which, you know, two less teams makes means that you're going to struggle if you if you miss a few if you have a few bad games. And what I would add to that is if you look at the teams at the bottom of the Premier League who are struggling, they are some of the big teams who've got managers who aren't as tactically astute as you're getting in, in, in the uh, Bundesliga. So you're getting 
managers like Alan Pardew and you're, you're getting managers like um, David Unsworth at, at Everton and these big clubs, people who don't think they will struggle because they've got good players. They've spent a lot of money on uh, on their players. They're actually struggling because there are, you know, there is, there's only so much you can do without tactics. And I think as, as tactics kind of picks up as a, as a general phenomenon that's considered a good thing amongst coaches the Premier League can't just rest on its laurels um, so we have we have some of the best tactical managers in the top six and then beyond that sort of it can drop away a little bit and it's been a real season for tactical astuteness in the Premier League this season and I think the, the Bundesliga is streets ahead uh, of, of the Premier League in that regard which is why we're, we're seeing so much depth. Well you see that with like someone like Peter Stöger who's definitely not a bad coach but he just you know there's so many other good teams around him that are just doing a better job. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it would definitely go along with that. That's always been the thing with the Premier League, that top six is so competitive. Um, and that's that's really something that where the Bundesliga has to go to. But it's really difficult in German football to establish yourself in that top six because that entire league is so, is so strong, right? And um, everyone seems to be always come up with a new plan, with a new game plan. And so you never, you, you, you don't have these set structures developed in Germany, except for Bayern at the very top, right? Um, and Dortmund, uh, I guess sooner or later, will get back there. But yeah, it's it's an interesting, really interesting comparison. Uh, John, uh, while you're here, I feel we have to ask you about uh, Gladbach. And uh, I mean, obviously not an ideal result today, of course, but uh, it's been a pretty good season for them so far. Uh, what do you think has been the, the main difference this season compared to the last? And do you think that they'll have the staying power to ever stay well in the in the top six as we talked about, or where do you see them finishing at the end of the season? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I think, I mean, the, the the game today was very frustrating. I actually was I was stuck in a bus in Peckham for the first twenty five minutes of the game, so I couldn't actually see uh, the the goals that they conceded at the beginning of the game. But then when I got back in, put it on straight away, and from what I saw, you know, I mean. Gladbach were, were dominant. They they held the majority of possession. They were passing the ball around well. They were were creating chances. Raphael was offside more than I think a, an elite football club's forward should have been. And they, they scored a couple of goals that were, were given, I think, fairly offside. But I, I don't know. I, I have a... I have a love-hate relationship maybe with Dieter Hecking. Um, at the moment, I'm... As I've said before, you know, the, the most important thing about playing the, the, the sort of 4-4-2 that they're playing at the moment is to have your double pivot sorted out. Now, in many respects, it works because Dennis Zakaria is, is one of the best uh, players of a two-man midfield that I've, I've ever seen, let alone um, seen at Gladbach. But at the moment, we're sort of, we're sort of bringing in various players alongside him. We've been trying out Matthias Ginter. Um, recently, and obviously that worked out quite well for uh, for us against Bayern. Um, and again, you know, it, it didn't last that long this this week because uh, Tony Janschka got injured again uh, in the thirty around the thirtieth minute, and Ginter dropped back into the the, the uh, into the central defensive area, and Nico Alvedi moved across, and they brought in Michael Cuisance, who I've been impressed with. But again, it's it's they they brought him in at a point when they're already two 0 down. And and it just didn't seem to me that there was gonna, there was going to be enough oomph for them to to get back into the game. And I think my problem with the four the, this sort of defensive four four two 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 that they use is that it's a very passive formation. 
you're, you're often waiting to hit people on the counter-attack and you're often waiting for something to happen. And when you go 2-0 down, you don't really want a passive uh, formation anymore. You want to have something maybe a little bit more uh, um, active. So I, I would have liked to have seen Hecking do a little bit more, perhaps. And, you know, the issue is, is then you've got two strikers who are both very much false nines number tens even um and and sometimes you see Lars Dindle who like again I'm, I, I I totally love the guy but he drops very very deep into central midfield areas to pick up the ball and you're just not putting enough pressure on on the opposition goal so I, I think that you know that at times Gladbach have looked fantastic this season and at times they they've looked very very flat and very very unimaginative uh, and I'm not entirely sure what it is about the difference between those two uh, states that they can uh, adopt that I don't, I'm not entirely sure what causes that difference. So at the moment, I'm just hoping that they can, they can uh, hang on to the, the top four. And I'm like, obviously gutted today because had they got the win, then they would have gone up into second place. Um, and I said to the guys in the, <laughs> before the, the, the match kicked off that, you know, everything, literally every game went Gladbach's way over the course of the uh, the match day, so it was only it was only right that they then lost the game against uh, Wolfsburg, who are very much beatable this season. Um, so there we go. There you go. That was Gladbach covered. You'll be happy, John. We've covered it. We've got you on. <laughs> They've lost. <laughs> you know, now you've had your your spiel. But uh, obviously, we'll get you on. Uh, you know, in, in the coming weeks, I would say as. Uh, well, I would imagine a pretty good season is going to continue for them. But um, I think just before we go, we have to talk about the World Cup draw very quickly. I mean, we, we've said all along that Germany will probably win the uh, World Cup you know, <laughs> with one of their many sides. But, but Chris Williams, do you actually believe that England are going to get to the final and face Germany? Um, so if anyone's wondering why I've come up with that... Um, prediction it's because i used a world cup predictor and i think with the teams that i put would win their group um, and who england could face i think argentina are beatable um and as are brazil uh, i just don't think germany would be so it depends whether england can can show their full worth um, like they have done in the youth levels uh a european and, and world competition um the world cup draw i think for one of the first World Cups I can remember, there's no evident group of death. It seems like all the teams are nicely spread out. Um, so we should have a good knockout competition. The group that I'm going to keep my eye on the most, I think, is the is Group A, where the Russians are, because there's no... I don't think there's a set favourite. So if we're going to have a group of death because there's no main strong unit in there, I think it could be Group A. So Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, or Uruguay. I'd fancy the Uruguayans to go through, but you would hope that the Russians would go through as well because it keeps the um, interest in the host nation alive. But you know, Egypt are an excellent side, um, so they could push Russia. So I think Group A will be the ones to keep an eye on for me, Bryce. Good, good. Manu, are you happy with the draw being a, a, a German? National? Yeah, Sweden, Mexico, and South Korea. Korea Republic. Yeah. yeah. Three attractive opponents and a doable group, I think. You know, Good for football, crowd though, Mexico versus yeah, abso Germany. Absolutely, and I, I want to point out right here that we're um, going to discuss the World Cup draw in great detail on the Football Grad podcast this week. Yeah, I would say we'll probably speak about it on the... Uh, on the Galato pod all right as well later mm. this week. But guys, I think that more or less does it for this week. I think we've uh, we've covered that plenty. Um, John, as always, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, what have you got going on this week or the coming weeks that you would like to draw people's attention to? Or where can they find you on Twitter? 
So I'm doing a few uh, press box appearances this week in, in the Champions League. Hopefully one for football grad, but I guess we still watch this space. Um, yeah, it's a watch this space. So I've got a little nervous sweat on. So by the time this is released uh, Monday morning, we well, should know 100%. Yeah, I'm still waiting too. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm not doing, uh, that's the the Wednesday fixture at Wembley with um, uh, at Spurs versus Applewell. Um If if it's not that, then I am I am definitely going to uh, Chelsea uh, on Tuesday to see the, their game with Atletico Madrid. So uh, I'm covering that for a different uh, different organisation, but uh, I'm sure you'll be able to see me putting stuff out on Twitter with with that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. And I'm actually going to Wembley again on Saturday, uh, but I'm going in the capacity of a friend of a Stoke fan. So I shall be in the away end. So hopefully the atmosphere will be a lot more exciting than when I was at Wembley a couple of weeks back watching watching Spurs in the home end, which was one of the most mausoleum-like experiences I've ever had. And I've been to the London Stadium as well. So. Well, let's just hope that those Spurs fans can, can uh, well, see that you have a, a good party atmosphere there better than the last time. But, John, where can people find you on the likes of Twitter? I am at John underscore McKenzie, and John is spelled without an H, and McKenzie has a, an A between the M and the C. So there you go. No excuses now. As simple as that, eh? Uh, Manu, <laughs> wh- what have you got going on this week? Uh, you're hoping to get to, to a game as well. I take it you should be there, shouldn't you? I'm still waiting to hear back um, from Bayern and Leipzig and Hertha. So I guess I'll know by the time this podcast is out. But yeah, I mean, we're going to cover that. And then I'm heading to Berlin pretty much no matter what for the weekend and doing Leipzig Mainz on Saturday. And then the, we'll be talking after that. So I'll, I'll reveal what I'm going to do after that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, but it'll be plenty. It'll be plenty. It'll be new plenty. Data, yeah, sure. yeah, definitely. You can find all of that at Football Grad Live. We have a good Instagram account too, at Football Grad, just at Football Grad. And then, of course, um, you can follow me at Manuel Veth. Yes, indeed. And Chris, what have you got going on? Uh, well, I will be at Stamford Bridge with John. I'm covering it for um, Football Grad, not another outlet. Sounds like a Chinese club, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> So I'll be there uh, Wednesday. Uh, I'll either be at um, Tottenham, Apoel or Liverpool Spartak. So I'm hoping that um, we get the good news tomorrow on that. And then Thursday for Football Grad, I'm at Arsenal Bait. I'm seeing what the fallout is for Cologne as well as Bait. Exciting times and very busy in the Football Grad front. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at Bryce Dunn11. I suppose the only thing I've got a shout out for it will be the Golazzo podcast, which will probably come out. 24 hours after this one where we'll talk about the Legia final, who's to be in that, and also the World Cup draw. Um, guys, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please head over to iTunes and give us a bit of a rating, some good positive comments. Um, apart from that, uh, that more or less does it. Um, enjoy the midweek games. You'll find everything at Football Grad Live that you could possibly want covering them. And I'll feed us in. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen.
It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.